Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke, here with my co-host, Perry. And this week, we've got my buddy, Pete, back with us. What's going on, Pete? What's going on, boys? How you doing? Doing well. Perry, what do you got going on? Not much, man. I tell you what, I have been thinking almost nonstop about turkey season. I'm getting fucking jacked for the turkey opener in Virginia. I'm pumped, man. Dude, I understand that completely and i'm a little salty i'm probably gonna miss turkey hunting back in virginia i'm gonna still try to eke out a weekend when i get back from ntc but i'm not sure it's gonna actually work out uh we'll see um i will be able to i did grab a turkey tag in colorado and i think evan's planning on flying out and we're gonna chase some birds together we're gonna go after some miriams uh, so that'll be pretty cool i don't have a whole lot of expectation of of us being successful because we're <laughs> Not exactly even good turkey hunters in the east, and now we're going to factor in a whole new, you know, subspecies of bird and a completely different topography. Like we were talking the other day, I was like, "Yeah, man, like you can go to the place that I was hunting antelope on because he wants to hunt, you know, while I'm at work and stuff after the weekend if he doesn't tag out." And it's just like sagebrush. He's like, "Where do they roost?" I was like, "I guess in the sage. That's all there is. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's no trees." Yeah. And I was like, I know it's called the Turkey Track Ranch, and I know there's fucking birds in there because I found some feathers. So I, mean, I don't know. So yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm sure that'll be interesting. I wish, uh, I wish I could make it out. I just don't think there's any way that's going to happen. But I'm sure you guys will will have fun and at the very least maybe learn something. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm gonna be out there in Virginia chasing the eastern variety. But um, yeah, man, I'm just getting pumped. Been uh, been practicing the calls, listening to a lot of. A lot of different podcasts and, and so forth talking about talking about turkey hunting and i'm getting i'm getting jacked up man I'm trying to dude it's so much fun like it is, it is yeah like it's just so it's just different en- yeah it's so engaging versus whitetail hunting you know you, when you start getting one gobbling back you know your heart rate picks up a little bit and then god man when one comes in you're just like jacked like it's and it's also so frustrating well, and for us that, you know, we didn't grow up turkey hunting. We didn't, we, it's not like we've had some like, you know, mentor or someone that really knew what they were doing really to kind of show us the way, you know, we had John up um, last year a couple of times and he was a great resource. He's definitely got way more experience than, than any of us do. So we were all able to learn a little bit from him, but it's just such a, it's such a completely different uh, beast. And I know last year, man, I, there were days turkey hunting, but I just came back with this big shit eating grin on my face. I mean, even though I didn't, I didn't get a bird last year. It just, you know, it was so much fun. There's other days where you just come back and you just want to fucking beat your head against the wall because it can be so frustrating at times feeling like you're getting close, but never actually able to, you know, seal the deal. At least in my case, I wasn't able to. So I'm hoping to maybe hoping to take some of those lessons learned and uh, some of that experience and, and hopefully have some success this year. We'll see. Yeah, man, I hope you do. I'd love nothing more than you to hammer at Eastern. It'd be cool if it'd be cool if Evan gets both and then I get a Miriam and you get an Eastern. That'd be pretty damn good. Yeah, man, that happens. I'll, uh, I'll celebrate for sure. Well, turkey hunt is actually that one kind of hunt I actually can talk about because uh, I've, I've been, but dude, those damn things are so smart. They, uh, I mean, well, Ben Franklin wanted the national bird to be a turkey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think we all know that, right? Like, because they're way smarter than eagles are. But, like, they, they freaking know where you are and, like, where you can go and where you can't go and what what land you have access to or that, I guess, hunters have access to from my, like, very limited experience. It's like they can they know where that imaginary line is uh, uh, to not cross it. 
anyways, yeah, it, my both experiences I've had have been were very frustrating as well. It is, yeah. I mean, even like if you roost in the night before, you go out, you know what tree they're in, start calling, they're gobbling back, you got the decoys out, you're concealed, you're feeling good, you're talking to them all morning, you're like, oh yeah, it's going to come together, and they never come in. Or like in my case, I just like threw out a random call and had one come in and was not set up and ready for it. Like, you're like, well, oh shit. Yeah, well, that was that was what a lot of my experience was last year because I'm, I'm by no means an expert caller and I'm, I'm not even a good caller. I'm, I'm still in the very novice beginning stage of, of actually, you know, learning how to Turkey call. But I did have a few, you know, cases last year where, you know, the birds come in, but just not having that set up perfect, you know, not really um, understanding because they use the landscape differently than a whitetail does. And, you know, like say Pete, they're, they're smart critters. They're exceedingly aware of their surroundings, almost to like, it's unbelievable. It's almost like they've got it imprinted in their brains. They know exactly, you know, it seems like every rock, every stick, every tree. Um, the damn eyesight's so good. Their eyesight's so good. It's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. So from, from my perspective last year, at least, um, and, and the, the, you know, handful of experiences before that turkey hunting, um, the setup is crucial. Sometimes you can get them talking to you and they'll call back and you don't have to be the best caller in the world to do that. But, being able to actually seal the deal with um, with your setup is crucial. Yeah, it definitely is, man. Like, what I learned, fuck, was it last year? Yeah, I guess it was. When I was hunting with, uh, I was with Carter, actually, was it North Georgia. And, like, you always hear, like, oh, like, don't overcall, don't overcall, don't overcall. That's like, it's pounded in your head. You know who overcalls? Fucking hens, bro. The hens I was around would not shut up. And so when I actually called that one in, I decided I was like, fuck it. I'm going to call as much as she is. And I started like, and I, I threw in like a, I mean, it wasn't great, but it was like some sort of like little, you know, I was doing some cutting and it was a little bit of like shitty purring and then, you know, throwing that in and, and just kind of like, I was like, I'm just going to call over this hen. Like I thought this hen was another hunter. Like they were calling so much, but it wasn't. And so I think a lot of the calling stuff, I think it's the same with elk too. Like, a lot of people get really obsessed with like how good it needs to sound or how all this, but you know, I, I hear, I think it Renella says that it's like some of the shittiest Turkey collars or turkeys, you know? <laughs> like So, and I think it's the same thing. What I've heard with elk, man, I was watching a video of an elk bugling and it sounded like dog shit. I'm like watching the elk make the sound and I'm like, Okay, maybe I don't have to like stress about how like clear my perfect my notes are. And everything. I would never want to sound like that dumbass elk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is like, dude, this was like a seven by seven trophy bull. Like, like you sound like a dog. Like I was like, what the fuck? Can you make Can you make that sound for us one more time, Luke? It's a one and done thing. Okay, you guys can rewind you just, it. It sounded so good. So just uh, just hit uh, hit back ten if you guys want to hear it again. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh shit! Well. Uh, this podcast is not going to be on turkey hunting, uh, contrary to the first, you know, seven, 10 minutes, but what we actually want to talk about, uh, we're just excited for turkey season, but what we actually want to talk about on, on this one is, and we've, we've alluded to it in a lot of the previous podcasts, and this might not be a podcast that a lot of people want to listen to, and, and that's fine. It, it, it doesn't really fall in, you know, specifically to the, the realm of hunting, lifting, and eating, but I think it all is intrinsically linked. And if you understand this, you'll be able to pursue the things you want to pursue far more. And that's your, you know, your financial literacy and your financial health. 
I think in some ways it actually does tie in to what we were just talking about because we just mentioned the fact that that uh, Evans flying out to Colorado um, to go, um, you know, ch- try to chase some turkeys out there with you. And to be honest, in in different set of circumstances, um, it's very likely I would be able to um, work right now. is is not going to allow that. And with my wife just starting a, a new uh, a new job, um, her work is also not going to allow that. But um, other than that, in, in different circumstances, I would have been, when, you know, this was a relatively last minute thing. I don't, yeah, let's buy the plane ticket and let's, let's head out to Colorado and to be able to have, um, you know, an Evans position, you know, to be able to do that. I think it ties in because one of the things we talked about on the last episode was not having, um, your physical abilities be a limiting factor for being able to do the things you want to do in life, whether that's hunting or otherwise. And it's the same when it comes to your, um, you know, your finances and, um, so I, I think, I think it, it's, while it may not be directly related, I think it definitely ties into, you know, the previous conversation. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's back to like my Texas trips, you know, I, I found out on a win or a, a Tuesday that if I could be down in, in Texas on Thursday, I could hunt in this camp. Boom. I was able to do it. Not think twice. The wife didn't give a shit. She was like, go. Uh, you know, all the snafus I had on this last pig hunt where I had to cancel my ticket, drive to Denver, buy a new plane ticket, pay for parking, still roll down there, pay more for a rental car because the rental car got canceled. Like all this kind of stuff, these snafus, um, even our hunt last, when, uh, when we had to get a new rental car and, and, and flying on these hunts, like all these little things that we always, you know, I get the feedback, like the, oh, the must be nice or like the, you know, the, the common joke with us with the big money posers. Yeah, I don't know who in the fucking team's big money, but I, you know, hook, hook a brother up. But I, th- I think we're just smart money posers, man. Cause like we do the right things with our money and we were lucky early on in life to have so- some folks that kind of taught us the right way. You know, I, I had an uncle and, and so did you that handed us a copy of total money makeover by Dave Ramsey, which Dave Ramsey is great to learn your base. I don't think he's great if you want to be a millionaire before you're 65. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. But, you know, but some of those fundamentals are, are, are solid as far as staying out of consumer debt, really paying attention, you know, living below your means, focusing on where you're putting your money and how you're putting your money to work for you. And, and I know in a day and age where we're sitting here, one of the big topics on the national scale is student loans and student loan debt. And how we need student loan debt forgiveness because these all these people who decided to take out student loans just are never going to be able to pay it off. I think, Perry, your story is one that kind of needs to be told and, and is something worth telling about, you know, discipline, financial literacy, and just kind of a dedication to working towards a goal and actualizing that goal. Yeah, and it's it's something that, you know, I don't I don't necessarily um advertise and it is but it is something that i think that's worth talking about uh you know you're right we the the joke the running joke about the big money posers i don't think there's a single member team member of hle um that would you know qualify on anybody's scale of of actually big money it's not like you know we're just we're just you know ordinary regular dudes that have jobs and um you know try to try to do what we can um you're right a lot of the national conversation is around topics like student loan debt around topics like the wage gap 
um, you know, the 1%, all these types of things. And, you know, the reality is what doesn't get talked about is smart, prudent, conservative, you know, financial decisions that are made day in, day out, um, that people, you know, actually learn how to manage their money, actually how to take control of their finances, and then have the ability, therefore, to do the things that they want to do in their life and it not be a financial burden, it not be a stress to their family, and it not be um, inauthentic or it not be, you know, for shows. They're, they're, you know, if, if they have, if they're, you know, pursuing whatever it is they want to pursue, whether it's a, a Western hunt, um, you know, or whatever, it's because they have to have that financial ability to do so. So, um, in my perspective, uh, you know, several years ago, my wife and I were both staring down the barrel of, you know, pretty hefty, you know, student loan debt. Um, we both, we both had accumulated some, some pretty decent student loans and, um, we made a decision, um, a big part as a result of the, the Dave Ramsey book and the Dave Ramsey plan that our uncle introduced us to, to not let that be a crutch to us and to not, uh, you know, not have that define ourselves financially. Are you comfortable? It's cool if you're not, but are you comfortable given the the total rough total of, of where you guys were sitting on, on that? Yeah. So when we, when we first got married, um, we, in total, we had we had approaching between my student loans, her student loans, and a little car note that we had on her um, on her car that we got her after she graduated school. Um, it was approaching it was approaching six figures. It was approaching a hundred thousand um, dollars. I don't remember the exact number off the top of my head, but it was it was ninety something um, plus or minus. So and go ahead with. Just a little, you know, kind of anecdote here. I was living when when Perry and Melissa were together. Uh, they've been together for probably about a year, year and a half. I actually moved in. We all had a house together. It was, we were all bartenders. We're on a bartender, not, not fucking salary. We're on bartender wages. We're making maybe we're making a hundred dollars an hour on a crazy Friday night, or we're making you know sixty cents an hour on a dead lunch shift on a Tuesday, and so. They're starting their life together. Melissa's in nursing school as she's uh, doing the bartending thing. Perry's out of college. I'm out of college, and, and we're all bartenders, not making a whole lot of money. And so, just so you can kind of get the the kind of the stage of life, and then you know, Perry and, and Melissa end up getting married, and then they've got this. You know, she graduates nursing school shortly thereafter, or, or right around then, and then they have to start their their life there. Yeah, and that was it. I. Um... You know, I was I started started working full time doing the consulting gig that you know that I that I still do now. She had just accepted her first nursing position. Um, we were freshly married, and uh, again staring down the barrel of this massive um, you know student loan uh, situation. And you know, the Dave Ramsey program is is a great program for a lot of people i think it's i think the total money makeover is one of those books that that, you know everybody should read there's a lot of good information to your point yeah once you get kind of past some of the initial phases um you know i I wouldn't say that i agree with with dave's philosophy when it comes to money management on, on everything but um 
as far as learning some of the basics and, and what it really becomes about is that discipline and, the, and being able to, to do that, that money management, the day in, the day out, the, the little decisions, you know, a lot of attention always gets paid to the big things, um, you know, buying a house, buying a car, you know, we've, we've, you know, we got Casey as a sponsor. Um, we've, we've talked about some of the financing deals, um, you know, related to that. But what doesn't get talked about very often is people making a budget, people taking control of their spending, you know, Monday through Friday, um, people making sacrifices. And so what we did was we basically said, we're not comfortable with this. We're not going to be in debt forever. You know, student loan debt doesn't go away. It's the only debt you can't um, get rid of, basically, except by dying. And, you know, we were young. We were just starting out. And so we, we made a decision. It's not like we were both making very modest salaries, um, you know, and what we did was we sat down and we said, we're going to make a budget. We're going to stick to it. We're going to make sacrifices. We're not going to splurge. We're going to, you know, um, we're going to grab this thing by the horns and take control of it. And then we're not going to stop until we do. And that's what we did. And, you know, it's, it's something that is difficult it's not fun when you're in the middle of it, but it's, it's definitely a conversation that I think people can listen to and hopefully get some sort of, you know, inspiration or some sort of, you know, ability to say, yeah, I can actually do this with my own life. I don't have to be reliant on a, a government bailout to forgive my student loans. I can take control of this myself and, and actually manage my own finances and put myself in a better position down the road. Uh, so Perry, I, I think with our last conversation is more, uh, me talking than you talking, but I'm actually curious to see what are some ways that you approached that, that were actually like sustainable or that made it actually sustainable because like, sure, maybe we've all like gone out and drawn like, Hey, I'm only going to spend like $75 on groceries this month. And like, that's not real. Um, but like how, what are some ways you actually like set about, doing that, that actually yielded fruit and, and made it sustainable, successful and sustainable, I would say. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it because it's easy, just like it is, like we talked about Pete on the last episode with, with some of the, you know, the physical um, goals that you can set for yourself. It's the same with financial stuff where it's easy to, to say, yeah, I'm going to do this and then to, to quickly lose traction. And it has to not only be something that that um, you decide you want to do, but it has to be something that you can implement and make sustainable over a period of time, because there's a lot of kids now that are graduating school. They are going to be making modest salaries. You know, a a four-year college degree doesn't carry the weight that it did um, a couple of decades ago. It's not like you're going to be walking out making six figures in a lot of cases. Obviously there's exceptions, but so, you know, it can be kind of a, a long road to hoe at times. And so you have to do the things that are going to make it, um, you, you know, you're going to be able to, to carry it on into the future. I'd say the, the biggest thing is similar to, um, you know, some of the physical goals that you can set for yourself is your mindset. And if you're, if you're married, if you got a spouse, the biggest thing is making sure the two of you are on the same page. Cause if you're not, it's not going to work. Um, so that's, that's the first step is, is get your head right. Make sure that you and your partner, if you have one, are on the same page. You're both equally committed and you say to yourselves, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to stop till we finish. That's that's step one right there. Yeah, that being as as a married man, that is that is so fucking important is being on the same 
page financially with your spouse. I mean, we, we've talked about it in a past episode, but 70% of the divorces in America are caused due to financial strife and stress. And, uh, you know, now over 50% of the population gets gets divorced. So now if you're able to cut out the financial strife and stress, what does that number actually drop to? So I think this is, is very, very important. It's a conversation worth having. But to kind of circle back, just so everybody knows, some of you guys might not be familiar with Dave Ramsey. So Dave Ramsey is a uh, – he's basically a, a talk show host kind of. He's written some books. But he, he's a financial advisor of sorts. Uh, he's kind of a celebrity at this point. But basically he, he preaches very, very basic shit. But he just does it in a way that's very accessible and understandable. And he does it, you know, and he kind of caters to the 80% of the population that lacks any sort of financial disciplines, can, can you know, carrying a shitload of consumer debt. But basically the tenants are, are he utilizes, you know, it's, it's built up, initially built up like a $1,000 emergency fund. It's like a thousand to three thousand initially, depending on the size of your family and, and some of your your risk and stuff. But you know, somewhere in there uh, for like self insurance, and then you know, you drive shitty cars. If you have a, a car note, you sell your car, you get a shittier car. You don't have a note on, pay cash for. Don't pay cash for depreciating assets, or you only pay cash for depreciating assets. Excuse me, you don't take out uh, loans because you're paying compound interest in the wrong direction, which I agree with ninety percent of the time. And then uh, you, you focus on. A uh, debt snowball, which is basically instead of, you know, the mathematical solution of paying off the highest interest rate first, it's pay off the lowest balance first to gain momentum because it's the mindset thing. And so you build momentum by clearing a loan and then all the money that was going like you pay the minimums on every loan, but then you pay all your extra money onto the smallest loan. And then you pay that off and then you take that money and you roll it into the next one and then so on and so on. And so you're building momentum from a mindset standpoint. And that's kind of his approach to it yeah that's exactly right and and pete to your to your question a minute ago that's that's exactly what we did so once you get you know once you get your head right um you know in my situation my wife and i were on the same page and we decided this is what we're going to do um you sit down you you make your budget and you you start attacking this debt and the way that you attack that debt is by sticking to your budget so you know people have to look at at their their own expenses and and say what what are what are our what are our biggest expenses for most people the two biggest expenses they have are one either their mortgage or the rent you know their living situation and two their groceries and you know there's other things obviously that, that can come into play car payments um, utilities power etc um, but but for most people their their food and you know the roof over their head are are the two biggest expenses. We Luke can attest he saw the house we lived in. We basically camped for two years. It was actually over two years. Um, we we lived in a house that was borderline free, and we saved an absolute ton of money. Now we rented it. Um, what was your rent? Our rent was four hundred bucks a month, and that was for a house. And, at, and, and when we were living there, then, you know, we had a, um, you know, my son was a, was a, was a little one. He was a baby. So, I mean, it was, you know, it was, there were three of us there. Um, it wasn't like a single bedroom apartment somewhere. Um, but it was, it was an extremely modest house. Um, it was an old rundown little property, um, that basically had four walls and a roof and, and power and, and water. And, you know, we, you know, we looked a lot of our, our peers and our friends that were, you know, in our same or similar 
situation, you know, first starting out, they're out there buying, you know, buying homes, um, $200,000 homes. And we decided we were going to live in a house that cost $400 a month. And we were going to do that so that we could throw all that extra money towards paying off our debt. Um, we drastically cut back our expenses as much as we possibly could. Um, we had a garden. It's something we've always done. We supplemented, you know, our grocery bills with having a garden. Obviously, you know, we I was able to have meat in the freezer from from hunting whitetails, and that's something that you know is always is always a nice uh, benefit of of uh, being a hunter. But you know, we did we we didn't go out to eat. We didn't do those things. We basically cut costs wherever we absolutely could, and every single month we basically took every spare penny that we had wasn't allocated to something that we had to pay for and threw it at student loans, threw it at our car payment until we, you know, over the course of a couple of years, um, paid it all off. I love what you said about your, your housing situation there, man. Uh, I can super relate to that right now. Um, and how much, uh, that can play a role into, uh, well, I'll say how, how much you're taking a look at like, what is a need versus a want um, and realizing like that. So to kind of frame things for people, <clears throat> I'm 28 years old, uh, single, no kids, got a girlfriend, but she's got her own place and everything. Um, and probably just makes more money than I do. Uh, but uh, cause she's awesome. But um, the place I live in now is a 550 square foot side of a duplex with no washer and dryer and no, uh, uh, dishwasher. Um, and so like I do my dishes by hand. Um, I take my clothes to the laundromat, but that other side of the duplex is my third rental property. And, and I didn't even, and I owned zero properties a year and a half ago. Um, and it's, so it's all by choice right now. And I love it because I don't need more than that. I mean, how much space does one freaking dude need? No, nah, man. Uh, that's you know what I'm saying? Ask. Like, yeah. And, no, that, or go ahead, go ahead. But yeah, no, I, I love that. That's, that's awesome. And and that's, that's a, that's a, you know, I wasn't in that position. That's, that's an awesome way to attack that. And I think it's an, an absolutely viable, you know, method that a lot of people in your position could do. Most people don't have that, that desire or that, you know, you know, it sounds simplistic, but they don't want to wash dishes. It's easier to throw your shit in the dishwasher and let it do it for you. Dude, the house we lived in, we didn't have a dishwasher. We had a little baby and he was going through bottles like you wouldn't believe. We hand washed every single one of those sons of bitches. And and my wife is a nurse. She worked 12 hour shifts and, you know, I'd be working from home all day, um, you know, with a little one there or I'd be gone out of town, travel and come back. And the last thing you want to do in that position is go wash dishes by hand. Um, but you know what? It was worth it. Yeah, I mean, same exact boat. It's, it's funny how all these, you know, kind of parallel. And obviously, Perry and I have a, a background together. But I mean, Pete and I just rekindled our, you know, our friendship. And, and we still just the same mindset. I mean, when I was at Fort Benning, <clears throat> at first, I was a geographical bachelor. Caroline was finishing up school. We actually got married in the, in the courthouse, as I obviously broke that news over this podcast a few episodes ago. <laughs> but uh, we... uh she was still up there. I was living with, I randomly grabbed two other captains who were living on post, had no idea who they were. They had just put, they were wanting a roommate, $1,200 a month, three captains. They were both, ended up both being geographical bachelors. 
I just thought they were fucking weirdos living in this like weird apartment with nobody. That's a different story. But like I got there over Christmas leave and they were gone. And I was like looking at this place and I was like, what the fuck are these guys living in damn, you know, shambles for? But it turns out we're in the same situation. So it worked out. But then after I moved out of that place, Caroline moved down. We lived in, it's the shittiest housing on Fort Benning. It's called Battle Park. It was $400 a month. It's Columbus, Georgia is pretty, there's a lot of shitty, very rundown kind of ghetto places. This is basically living in the ghetto, just you're on post because like civilians live in these, this housing and it's a lot of people from uh, Columbus, but it's just, there's no crime because they've all been vetted and they're all good people, but it's just very low income, but you're on post. It's, it's a very weird situation. It's like some weird lease, but it's this duplex. It was probably 500 square feet, maybe 600. It was two bedroom technically, but they were tiny. Um, and we had two dogs, a cat and us as a newly married couple living in this with roaches, the size of my fucking thumb and snakes, which with your meat hands has got to be the biggest roach I've ever Dude, seen. Yeah. I swear to God, one that long <laughs> slapped me in the face because it's not a roach. It's a palmetto bug in Georgia. If anybody was curious, the fucking roaches fly, which is God, I hate that state so fucking much. No offense to our Georgia listeners, but you can have it. Or Georgia's okay, Carter. That's that's Appalachia. Like respect, but fuck we love West Georgia. Yeah, West Georgia. Fuck right off with that shit. But but yeah. So like, just back to the we. Our kitchen was the size. I mean, it was smaller than the damn office I'm sitting in to do this damn podcast. You know, like my house is like ten times the size of this place. Four hundred bucks a month. I'm a captain. I'm a company commander. When my drills find out where I fucking live, they're like, "What the fuck, sir?" And it's like, yeah, but you know. How much money am I banking? I paid cash for Caroline's fucking forerunner when we, uh, you know, when we got married. I bought her a wedding present. She wanted a nice vehicle. I was driving your old truck, pair in you know, two thousand four Tacoma. That was my vehicle up until November. Like, yeah, you make these sacrifices, and I think we 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 all have done this, and it's to set us up to be able to now jump on a flight, fly down to Texas, fly out to Colorado to do a hunt to to do whatever the fuck. And I don't want to say we can do whatever the fuck we want to do, but we have a significant amount of flexibility because of the decisions we made, you know, even one, two, three, four or five years ago. Well, and going back to what you said at the beginning of this is the national conversation has turned to a point where it's so, <clears throat> so got to be careful here, but it's so there's, it seems to me like there's so many people that are either, reliant on or almost expectant of some sort of um i won't be careful there's there's folks walking around with their fucking hand out yeah wanting wanting something to be given to them because they made a bad decision i'll be in a system that is fucked i will grant that there's some massive cronyism going on with the student loan industry in in universities but you these people still made the decision to take on the debt well, and the, yeah, the universities are as much to blame as anybody, and there's and that's a, that's honestly a whole another discussion it could be a whole separate podcast. And and I wouldn't even say that it's bad decisions necessarily. Now, there's times where it absolutely could be bad decisions, but there's also times where like if people want to go to school, get an education, and and they have to take out student loans to do so, fine, you know, whatever, that's fine with me. I did it myself. My wife did it. But what what gets me is to say, oh, now. Um, I'm not going to take ownership of that. I'm not going to take responsibility for the decisions I made. Was I 18 when I made those decisions? Sure. Do I know now more as a 32 year old than I did at 18? Hell yeah. But it doesn't mean that I didn't make that decision at 18. It was my decision. And so 
when you do that, when you take ownership of it, and when you actually, I'm, I'm telling you, man, when you actually stroke that last check and pay that damn thing off, and you're looking at it going, I don't, I don't owe a cent to anybody. And now this money that I have coming in, my income goes up. And, and it's one of those things where when you, when you put yourself in that position, when you exercise that, you know, that financial muscle, that discipline, the same as it is with physical discipline, financial discipline, financial discipline, mental discipline. These are all muscles that have to be exercised. When you do that, it just, it, it grows and it leads to, to better things. It leads to, you know, increased opportunities. It's, it's one of those things. And, and when you do it for yourself, you take ownership of it. Um, it it's a feeling that can't be beat. And so something you uh, did love, love that train of thought. And I, I think it's right in line with something uh, with a series of conversations uh, I've had with some other close friends of mine is being able to hold more than one thought in your head at the same time. And that applies to a lot of hot button issues. Uh, and we can dive down in the rabbit hole of philosophy and moral psychology and the political rhetoric and everything. But basically is you can acknowledge an issue, an external issue, and still internalize the decision, right? Right. So you can acknowledge all of this, like, oh, the system has done this and all that without internalizing that and, and playing into your victim mindset. Um, that's beautiful, man. Right. I, I don't know. And I think that, and that's something I coach myself on. Um, it's something that I, uh, not to use a bunch of army terms here, but that's something that I incorporate into my like initial counseling with my new lieutenants is like, Hey, and it's something that got taught to me, uh, as I was going into ranger school was a man, like, uh, it was a guy that had, uh, I knew from school and he pulled a bunch of us aside and said, Hey, this is some stuff that set us up for success. And not to kind of drink the Kool-Aid a little bit, but it's really applied uh, across a whole just number of aspects of my life. And it was like, hey, even if insert like problem, even if insert failure, 90% of it wasn't your fault. Like 90% of it was like other people or the system or the people around you or the guy grading you or the school you went to taking advantage of you. You still 10% of that might have been your fault. And if even if it was only 10%, you have to focus on just that 10% because the other 90% is not going to get you anywhere because you might not be able to change that. But you can change the 10% of it that you chose to do, and you have to internalize that. Yeah, I mean, me and you at your place, fuck, a few months ago after a shitload of booze, you know, we had a lot of great conversations. And one thing we talked about was exactly that subject. And it was, you know... I've always joked that like if I ever write a book, like it's going to be called fucking constant failure because of how much I fuck up and I never do anything right the first time. And I have to learn through a series of failures. And like it, I used to, when I was younger, it was always, dude, I was a fucking piece of shit, man. I was always like, Oh, I got fucked or like it was somebody else. You know, and as I've grown older, it's like, yeah, there's circumstance around everything, but I own every bit of everything that I've done and everything that I failed at and everything that I can and can't do. And so like, like if HLE fails, it's my fucking fault, no matter what happens. You know, I was talking, you know, you talk to guys and they're like, Oh, well, this happened and this happened. It's like, well, no motherfucker. Like, what did you do wrong? What do I do wrong? And that's what you have to look at. And it's back into your finances. Like if you're financially illiterate, it's your fucking fault. You know, we talked about it last podcast. Like we live in the information age. 
there's a supercomputer in your fucking hand. You're probably listening to this podcast on a supercomputer <laughs> with like a hundred times the technology, a thousand times the technology that got us to the goddamn moon. The answers of the universe are at your fingertips. So if you don't know something, it's your fucking fault. Just like when we don't know something, it's our fucking fault. It's it's like what, what Jocko talks about and it's like what he wrote about in his book, Extreme Ownership, man. It's, you know, all these externalities that you were referring to, Peter, if it's 90% of the problem, it doesn't matter. Guess what? You had 10%. Own it. Good. What does he say? Good. It's an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to get better. It's an opportunity to, to fucking grow. And dude, with your finances, there are a million bad decisions you can make. And the three of us sitting here, we've probably made a good bit of them along the way. But at the end of the day, if... If you take ownership of it, if you take responsibility for it, and if you get your mind around the fact that you're not comfortable with it and you're not going to be comfortable until you do something about it, then you can. And really, that's all it takes. And then it's just a matter of implementing it. And like you said, Luke, we live in the age of information. You can go look up Dave Ramsey. You can go look up a million different sources and find all sorts of advice, all sorts of you know actual plans you can take, information out there to help educate yourself. And you will be better for it, I promise. 100%. And, you know, talking about stupidity. So, like, I'll just do a little anecdote here. Uh, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a running joke. You guys heard, heard the story of me flipping the Tacoma. Well, I flipped, you know, one of my previous trucks. Uh, I like to flip vehicles. And so I, I rolled a, a Ford Ranger that I had. So I had to buy a vehicle when I was in college. And so I took out the USAA offers a preconditioning, pre-commissioning loan to soon-to-be officers. Uh, which is a great scam on the part of the banks because they can get you to take out this debt and they know you're going to be required by UCMJ to repay said debt. And you're going to have a, you know, locked in salary for the duration of that loan. It's actually a, a brilliant strategy there. And some guys are very smart and they take that and they invest it all because you get a very good rate on it. And uh, I didn't, I bought a fucking Jeep Cherokee, which I still have today. So honestly, it wasn't a bad purchase. I bought a Jeep Cherokee with $5,000 of it. And I took out another $5,000 of it. And I think I bought some guns and a lot of booze and spent it on maybe, you know, time in the bars and like whatever the fuck else I did during that time when I was in college. But when I came out, I realized after when I took that loan out, I didn't really understand a lot of the Dave Ramsey shit. And I did after because you don't have to pay it off for a while. I paid that loan off. Once I started my salary on active duty, I think I paid it off in four months. Because I basically paid my rent, paid my food, paid my, you know, whatever beer. I mean, let's be real, I didn't quit drinking, but I was a young lieutenant. But other than that, I threw all the money at at that loan, paid that $10,000 off in four months. And so I fucked up by making bad decisions, taking out some car debt when I probably didn't need to. Definitely by the other $5,000. But then I, I kind of learned from that. I owned it and then I paid it off. And that was one thing I did kind of kind of right. I've habitually fucked up things in my life, but the one thing I've kind of maintained a, a pretty solid track record with is my finances, you know, cause luckily I, I deployed shortly after getting my unit, I invested all that money and you, you continue to, what, what happens is, is as you invest and as you start to have, uh, learn financial literacy, it's a compounding effect and it's a snowball in the right direction. And you do a little bit and you, and you start to see, and it builds and it builds and it builds. And so, you know, if you're in debt, it starts with what Perry did, the, the, the snowball to get out of debt. 
And once you get out of that, it's like, okay, I'm going to put some money probably in some conservative funds. And I'm just going to start putting some money away. Then you start to learn a little more and you can be more and more aggressive. And as you get more and more aggressive, you start to learn where to take risk, where not to take risk. And you can start to grow. And the next thing you know, you know, you're sitting here and like, I wish I talked to my little brother, James. I mean, he's 22, 23 right now. And I'm like, dude, you were so far ahead of me. Like I, I didn't start really truly understanding this until I was a little later in life. And if you start early, the earlier you start, it's all compounding. It's, it's, it's huge. It's so powerful. Compounding interest is one of the most powerful forces on the planet. Like it's, it's awesome. Yeah, you're exactly right. I think it, it's extremely powerful. And what you said about the, uh, not, not only the compounding interest, but the compounding, um, you know, knowledge that you can gain, and being able to to grow what what really concerns me most about this mindset of of expecting having expectations that someone else is going to come in and rescue you from you know the financial situation you find yourself in is that if you do that you remove that first step you remove that initial hurdle that you have to get over in your own mind in order to start that process of 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 really because for me in my position that was really what it took. I had to, I had to make that decision for myself. Um, learn how to make a budget, learn how to exercise uh, financial management decisions every single day, make sacrifices, do things that were going to, you know, put off um, instant gratification for long-term success. And then that puts you on that trajectory to then, you know, reap the benefits of that, not only compounding, um, compounding interest, but compounding growth to, to, to learn about the financial systems and mechanisms that are in place that you can take advantage of. If you miss that first step, what really concerns me is the, that then people aren't going to be set up for long-term success. So it, it seems like uh, kind of the overarching topic we're really talking about is like ownership, right? Part of that, uh, I think we hit on the last episode, um, we're really hammering it home in a, in a few different areas of life this episode. Um, a a phrase that uh, very recently in like the last month, and I honestly I think it was like a, it was another podcast or book. I, I don't even I don't, I don't know where I got this, but like it uh, was very eloquently stated that was uh, to not. It was some some guy. It was like, I, but I've stopped saying I didn't have time to do that or I don't have enough time to do that because we can't necessarily say that with money because different people born in different circumstances, um, you know, let's not discount uh, different starting points, I guess. But like time is something that we all legitimately all have the same amount of, uh, right? <laughs> like, uh, so if, if you don't like, I guess it started there and I found it to like sort of transfer over to like other aspects of my life. When I stopped thinking about like, Oh, I didn't have enough time to do that. No, it just wasn't enough of a priority for me. And then that has translated into other aspects of my life where it's like, okay. Uh, assuming my like not income, not fixed income, like I'm a 78 year old, you know, retiree, but like assuming that like my financial, like input is fixed from month to month. It's, it's fixed saying, I don't have enough money to do that. Or, you know, that's, 
uh, it's out of my budget or whatever. Like, or I, actually, I'll say out of my budget is a way to say like it wasn't enough of a, of a priority for me because like we all don't have the same amount of money, but like for month to month, you do have the same amount of money. Um, and I don't know. I've just I've, I've found that to be starting with with time and bleeding over into other like mindset and other stuff like that is is kind of like because you have to, like once you own that you can own other aspects of, of your life. And it's this like trickle down effect. Uh, anyway, sorry, that was a little bit of a ramble, but yeah. No, man, I, I think that's, that's spot the fuck on it. And I've, I've talked about this with Perry offline. And I think I've touched on the podcast with the time thing, man. Like, dude, I waste time. Like I, dude, I, I fuck off on Instagram. I, I post shit. Like I, I watch tel- you know, TV with the wife, you know, we watch, Whatever the fuck, dude. I mean, I, I watched The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. I live with two women. Like, I, I watch that shit. Like, it's a goddamn time suck. It's trash. <laughs> and I still get more done in a day than most people I know that tell me they don't have fucking time. And I'm not I'm not saying this to, like, be like, oh, look at me. I do this shit. It's just, like, if I waste the amount of time I do, but I'm still able to accomplish the things I am with running. Caroline helps out huge now. She's taking a load off. But, like, back in the fall, I was doing all those hunts. How many hunts did I do? A, a bunch. And I was running the business all by myself. I was waking up before PT. I was doing orders. I was staying up late to do orders. I was still watching, you know, spending time with the wife, watching TV with the wife. I was doing all these things. And I have people that have the same fucking job as me being like, oh, that must be nice. You can do all this. I just don't have time to do it. I'm like, what? No, you motherfucker. You don't make time. So, like, that that always rings very hollow to me, the time argument. It really frustrates me. And, and you look at, like, I'm not a high-functioning guy. I'm not. You look at the truly high-functioning guys and what they're able to accomplish in the same 24 hours that we all have, it's incredible. There's guys out there and gals that are doing way more than you when you say you don't have fucking time. You have time. We all have time. I have more time. I can be more effective with my time. We all can. Like, we're not busy. My fucking little brother will tell me he's fucking busy, and I just laugh at him. Perry laughs at him all the time. I love you, James, but you're not fucking busy, bro. You're in college. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times we've we've had that conversation and and dude you know not to throw shade at, at him or anyone else I've I've been guilty of it myself I still do it man we all work cuz it's a matter of perspective right it is and I've I mean I've no for 100% fact I have said those words I don't have time for that but the reality is time is not one of those limiting criteria it's not one of those limiting factors for almost anybody there are dudes out there there are gals out there there are people out there that are that set the standard and it is absolutely amazing to watch when you run across those people and the reality is it's inspiring but it it's not it's not the way most of us live our lives and and i count myself among that group but what um what i've come to realize is that you're right pete you have to stop saying those things you have to shift your mindset to say it's not that i haven't it's not that i don't have time it's that i haven't made time it goes back to those priorities that you were talking about like that guy luke that you're talking about that commander that dude sounds like he had his priorities straight he knew exactly what was important he knew exactly what it took in probably every facet of his life not just his professional career not just the military um endeavors that he was engaged in but probably i bet that i bet that you know, carried on to every other aspect of his life. And once you, once you can kind of, that's, I mean, going back to the finances, that's exactly what a budget is. It's a priority list. 
And when, when you do that, it is truly freeing. A hundred percent, bro. A hundred percent. And I think exactly what Pete said, the time it ties back into money. And then what you just said about changing your mindset of, I don't have enough. It's, it's instead of that, I can't afford this. You start thinking, how can I afford this? And what do I need to do to be able to afford this? Is it cutting somewhere or is it finding income somewhere else? And if I'm not earning enough, how do I earn more? You know, you've got to look at these and you, you got to look at these problems and then, and then shift the way that we think and the way that society would tell you to think. As a whole, we're taught, like, who was taught about anything about economics when they were in high school other than the basics of bullshit? They're not taught, you're not taught how to, you, you might maybe in a basic econ class you're taught. I remember being taught about, like, how to take out a car loan and what a good car loan was and what good home mortgage looked like and, like, how much credit card debt I can t- take out. I, I remember these things in high school being taught. And I, most people I talked to had never had a finance class at all. But my financial classes were telling me how to be in fucking consumer debt instead of telling you how to live below your means, how to start getting your assets to pay for your liabilities. Yeah, I never had any of that. And and honestly, the little exposure that I did and, and from other people that I've talked to, the, the exposure they have is typically revolved around you know credit. And it's like, well, how do I get a good credit score? It's like... <laughs> You want to wait. You want to be to the point where you wake up one day and you say, "It doesn't really matter what my credit score is." Now, if you're talking about you know investment properties and, and real estate and some other things like that, which I do think is is absolutely worth talking about, and it's probably um, a topic for another day. Then, then sure, yeah, that's that's going to come into play. But I'm just talking about from a from a day in day out, you know, like so consumer debt and and just um, you know kind of kind of uh, money management standpoint if you're worried about your credit score, you shouldn't be. There's, there's other things where you can focus your interest and you're going to do better off in the long run. So, uh, yeah, talking about, uh, the time thing and circling it back to, I think where this, this conversation initially was when was, or started, I guess it's like how, uh, finances get to play in a like lifestyle role or finance plays a role in lifestyle. I guess what I should say <clears throat> is uh, thinking about like step one is owning your time, owning your finances. Step two is, is for me was disconnecting uh, time from income and realizing that uh, they, for many people, they are connected, but they don't always have to be. Um, you can, and whether that's uh, from an actual salary standpoint um, and, or a, um, investment standpoint, uh, you know, for instance, like that's, that's why I personally invest in real estate much more heavily than I do the stock market. Cause guess what? There's not a damn thing Pete can do to make Tesla stock go up. There is a whole hell of a lot I can do to improve the value of a house or rental property or, you know what I'm saying? So like, and all of the, and, and that is time. And like those time and those financial decisions like are interconnected, but you can't do, any of it, uh, you know, w- w- without taking ownership of all of it, I guess. Or I couldn't, at least I don't want to be preachy. I know I, I just, this is all from like, I know I couldn't do that or have done that uh, and won't be able to do it unless I continue to, to take ownership. No, I think you're exactly right, man. It's, it's 
when when it comes to time management, when it comes to financial management, there are there's always room for improvement. There's always room for self-evaluation. And at the end of the day, you have to be able to wake up, look at yourself in the mirror and say, um, how can I do this better? I'm sick of where I've been. I want to put myself in a position down the road to be able to do the things I want to do, um, have the things I want to have, pursue the things I want to pursue, actually have the time to do those things. And whether that's paying off debt, whether that's, you know, making a budget and getting your finances straight, whether that's looking at, you know, once you do that, once you have accomplished those goals, putting yourself on the trajectory of figuring out if um, investment, different investment strategies, whether that be real estate or what have you, you know, passive income, um, you know, is, is something that you're interested in that you want to learn about. There's all sorts of opportunities out there. Um, you know, this would be, this would be a, a, a great opportunity, Luke, to, to plug our buddy Casey. Um, but, you know, those, those are all options that are out there to you. And at the end of the day, the biggest hindrance, the biggest thing that's standing in your way is yourself. And once you get past that, you know, you can make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, talking about Casey. So obviously I've mentioned he he focuses on owner occupant loans as a mortgage lender uh, or a a mortgage broker for prime lending. But there's some really cool things you can do with owner occupant loans that can be absolutely beneficial to you in the long run, whether you're a vet or active duty and you're using a VA loan, or if you're going to use a conventional loan, or if you're going to take advantage of an FHA loan, there's things you can do and tactics you can use that are hundred percent legal on the up and up and you can go through a guy like Casey Burns. The beautiful thing about Casey is, is if you have any questions about tactics and legality or any of that stuff, you call him up, and he'll walk you through the whole process. He'll say, yeah, you can do this, and this is on the up and up. You can't do this. This is fraud. And he'll be straight with you and, and tell you what you can and can't do because there's some weird laws with investing and using you know the different – loans and it can be really confusing. He'll walk you through and talk you through the entire thing. And so you want to get into real estate investing. Casey's the type of guy that even if he can't help you, he'll be like, hey, just use me as a resource. Just bounce shit off me and I'll I'll let you know. He's doing that for our buddy Caleb right now. He couldn't help Caleb, but Caleb was like, as far as a refi, but he was like, hey man, like just anything that they give you for a refi, just send it my way and I'll look it over and just make sure it's good. That's the kind of guy Casey is. Yeah, and that's that's invaluable, man. I mean, because the reality is, you're right. A lot of that stuff is is complicated. There's there's regulations. There's regulatory, you know, BS out there that is absolutely hard to pick through. And if you're not an expert in it, it can be confusing as hell. Someone like Casey, who is is an expert, and he has a he has an ability to break it down to make it um, simple to digest. Put it in layman's terms. And he can tell you, like I said, what's on the up and up. Um, he can lay it out for you so you, in terms you understand. And he can either, you know, say, yeah, this is something I'm going to help you with. Or if not, he's going to be able to point you in the right direction. And that's 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 an absolutely invaluable asset. 100%, man. You guys can go holler at Casey via telephone at 919-710-1864 or reach him at email at casey.burns at primelending.com 
And also go check him out on his website. Look at his reviews. See if it's something you want to look at at www.closewithkc.com. But, yeah, I mean, all, all those tactics, all those different things, like, the, for instance, like, I, you know, the, the Clarksville house I have, that's the kind of thing that starts to, as you build those types of assets, it gives you the flexibility to then do the things you want to do. I mean, if you think about it, one property, 500 bucks a month, that's a plane ticket and a half, two plane tickets a month to go do a hunt outside of the state you live in. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's something that a lot of people see as something that, for whatever reason, is unattainable to them. And the reality is, it's not. If if a couple of dumb hillbillies like us can have the wherewithal to take it upon ourselves to try to put ourselves in a better position than we were previously, than the generations you know um, before us were, than, than anybody can. And all that it takes is the capacity to say, I'm not going to be reliant on some sort of handout. I'm not going to be reliant on some sort of subsidized program that's going to, you know, cover the decisions I made, um, repay a debt that I have. I'm going to take it upon myself. I'm going to take ownership of the situation, the financial situation that I put myself in to figure it out and to improve it to the point that I can actually do the things I want to do. I can buy that plane ticket. I can go chase turkeys in Colorado. I can go chase elk in Wyoming. I can go, you know, do whatever it is you want to do. When you do that, when you actually take ownership of it from yourself, it is, it is, it is something that, you know, it, it feels great. It is something that you will not regret. And the reality is it's something that is, attainable for everyone that's out there listening right now. It's not something that you have to be a big money poser in order to, you know, in order to, to feel like you have a shot at dude, if we can do it, you can absolutely do it. So this is going to be another uh, botched quote or reference, whatever. I don't remember if it was Ralph Waldo Emerson or Henry David Thoreau, neither of which I've read extensively, but uh, something along the lines of it's, we all get what we want. And if you don't think, or if you don't think you do, then you didn't want it bad enough. Um, and I, I've just found that to like, I, that's to me, it's like one of my favorite quotes ever. Uh, because if you really dig into that, it's hard to like pick that apart. Obviously like, okay, you can want to be made of fire or go to the moon or what, like there's all like you can, you can pick, you can pick that apart just to be clear. But like, if you want to apply it practically, it's, I think it holds up in just like so many different aspects of our life. If you, we all get what we want. And if you don't think you do, you didn't want it bad enough. Absolutely. Like, and it's back to, you know, we keep talking about mindset and we talk about when you decide that you want something, what you've got to do is figure out how to do it. When we decided I was going to launch a podcast, we figured out how the fuck to do it. We talked about this before. Three weeks flashed a bang when we decided we were going to do the podcast when we did the first episode. It was quick. But I learned the lessons through the momentum from launching the business when it took me a long time and I drug my feet. Now I make decisions rapidly. You build momentum and you build lessons. You learn how to take risks. Risk is not something, especially financial risk, is not something that is inherent to everybody. I'm pretty aggressive with things. But even I was a little conservative 
Honestly, I should be a millionaire at 30 years old. I'm not because I was too conservative when I was 22, 23, and 24, 25. If I had been more aggressive and done things, and I'm not talking about like hindsight, like, oh, like if I had just known this. No, no, no. I'm talking about things that I thought about doing that I didn't do because I was scared about the risk. And I, I, I listened to the echo chamber of people around me that told me not to because of the risk. If I had just done those things, I would be worth over a million dollars today. And so that's what I focus on. I don't focus on any success that I've had because the success of a ha- that I've had is mostly dumb luck. I focus on all my things that I've missed on because that's what motivates me to be more aggressive and take more risk. And I think that's what everybody else you have to do and you have to shift your mindset. And don't fucking listen to people that aren't in the position that you want to be in. Everybody's parents is going to tell them one thing. Are your parents multimillionaires? Are they financially independent? Or are they working past the retirement age to try to support themselves? You can even have financial literate parents, which I, I do. I have, you know, great parents who who do awesome things, but they're still, you know, my, my old man's still working. And it's fine. It's what he chooses to do. I think he, he just likes it at this point, but I don't want to ha- want to be working when I'm older. I want to be financially free by the time I'm 35, if I choose to be. And so I have to make different decisions. I can't listen to the people around me that tell me not to do anything. Everybody told me not to launch Hunt, Lift, Eat. Everybody. I honestly can't tell you one person. Perry was pretty supportive, honestly. But I think Perry had his fucking reservations and his doubts. Like everybody did, because it was something that nobody around us had done. I for sure and did, so, man. Yeah, I mean, everybody, I mean, dude, I mean, I love Melissa to death, but I mean, she was like, what the hell is Luke doing? And, and that's fine. That's that's a natural response. But if I listened to everybody that told me not to launch, launch Hunt, Lift, Eat, I, I would have never done it because I, I literally can't think of one person who was like, oh, you should totally fucking do that. 100% without question. And I don't expect anybody to do because we should have some reservations. But that's just to say, like, don't listen to the folks around you if they're not in the place that you want to be. You have to make your own decisions because everybody's going to tell you no because they have fears and those fears probably kept them from doing things. And like the way I looked at it, and I, I talked about this during the HLE uh, origin story episode. I would rather lose $5,000 failing forward and have those lessons than sit on $5,000 and do nothing. I think it's a great... I think it's definitely a great uh, a great point to hammer home, and it's a great mindset to have. The thing I would add to it is that if if you have that proverbial ball and chain, that financial ball and chain around you that you can't get under, there's so many people you're t- talking about. You know, don't listen to people that aren't in the position you want to be in. Well, there's a lot of people out there that aren't in the position you want to be in because they have this massive weight hanging on their shoulders. They have this massive weight around their ankles of years of at the end of the day, poor, you know, poor decision-making lack of ownership, however you want to phrase it. If you have that, then it's hard to put yourself in that position to take those risks, to be aggressive, to take advantage of the opportunities when they present themselves because they will. But once you are able to kind of, you know, quote unquote, break those shackles, you put yourself in that position where you're not beholden to someone else. You're not tied down by that monthly payment and you have the ability to escape that and to establish that financial independence. And then you can actually look at yourself and say, yeah, I have some options. I have the ability to take risk if I want to. I have the ability to take this trip and it's not going to set me back. I'm not worried about a, a vacation or a hunting trip 
you know, causing a year's worth of, you know, financial stress or strife, it, it, it's an entirely different conversation. And I, I think you're absolutely right, Luke. When, when, um, when you want to put yourself in that position to, if you want to establish financial independence at 35 and you say, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 35. That's great. But you better damn sure make, you better make damn sure you have your, um, your priorities in line and you better make sure that you understand and own the decisions you made in the past and you're willing to do the work that's necessary. You know, if you are in that position to get rid of, you know, any of the financial burden, any of the, the things that are holding you back, because, um, at the end of the day, I think that's where we all want to be. Yeah. I think everybody wants to, you know, be a big money poser. I think that's the, <laughs> that's the whole mindset. I think behind the guys that are like, almost oh, be nice. Oh, yada, yada, yada. They want to talk shit. It's like, you know, you look at, you know, say what you want to about dudes like cam, you know, cam hands. And you know, there's some of the things, you know, might be a little cringy here, or there or whatever, but you know what you can't argue with is how hard that motherfucker's works his entire goddamn life. He still works a full-time job at like a factory or some shit. And he's you know, fully sponsored by Under Armour, gets these crazy hunts, has no I reason. I think he's like a I think he's like a state employee or something. I mean, I think it's like a like a you know, very average, you know, I mean, just Yeah, he's like a manager he's, he's at still- like some plant or some shit or some yeah, like it's not it's nothing glorious. Yeah, he's still out there getting it every single day. Exactly. And you know, you can't argue with that level of hustle. You look at guys, you know. Every, oh God damn, dude! I, you know, I constantly am seeing this stuff with like, oh, you know, we got to tax the tax the billionaire. I can't talk the billionaires. It's like, well, dude, Jeff Bezos literally changed how the entire world, the entire world does commerce. Like, think about that for a second. One man changed how the entire planet does commerce, and he probably works harder in a day than most people work in a week. And he needs to be, you know, and don't get me wrong. Like, should he be taxed? I'm fucking hundred percent. But, you know, but should we, you know, steal fucking 80% of his net worth? Like, fuck no. Like, come on. That motherfucker's earned it. He's changed the world. Well, it goes back to kind of what we, or uh, not to plug my own comment, but like you can talk about an issue, an external issue and not internalize it. Yep. You can, you can, you can talk about an external issue and still internalize your own decision. And, and and that applies to however you feel about the whatever tax bracket Jeff Bezos is in. Like you can you can be a ultra left leaning like and you know fiscal liberal and still internalize your own decisions and not not be a victim. Um, and I'm not that's not what I'm advocating for. But it, you know what I'm saying? Like that just applies to all, in my opinion, uh, sides of either the political spectrum and applies to whether not you were, you know, ad- adopted from a foreign country or were born with a trust fund. Um, so, I don't, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about that. No, it's 100% valid. Like, it's – we we sit here and ramble all night about this shit. And, it, I mean, there's, there's conversations that are worth having and are being had, you know, out, out there right now, but I don't think are being had enough. And I think our youth – and the and we have a lot of younger guys and gals that listen to this podcast, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this episode. Is it's powerful when you start young. Like I, I'm, I'm serious when I tell you guys I would be a millionaire at 30 if I had started younger. 
I just was scared and I listened to the echo chamber around me of people who were scared and wouldn't take risk. What I told my little brother was, dude, if you take risks and are aggressive at 22 and you lose all your money by 24, guess what? You're in the same boat as every other fucking 24 year old who has no goddamn money. But now you've got all that experience from all the risks and the gambles that you made. And I'm not, gambles is a bad word. I don't believe in gambling. I mean, a little, you know, a little bit here and there is okay. But as far as like investing is not gambling, there's a very, very big difference. You're, you're looking at risk, you're analyzing risk, and you're mitigating risk. And that's something you have to do before you start investing. You need to truly understand risk. And there's a ton of resources out there for that. We're not fucking financial advisors. We're not experts on any of this. Maybe at a later podcast, we can talk into some of the tactics and techniques that work for us. But as far as any sort of advice, there's way better podcasts for you guys out there to go like delve into the specific type of investing that applies to you and the way your brain works. I've got buddies that would make, you know, $4,000 an hour sitting in class doing day trading. My brain does not process that shit. I cannot do it. I tried. I can do a little bit of like midterm investing in the stock market. I cannot do day trading. I tried and I lost 500 bucks. Bad deal. So whatever works for you and in, in your mindset and the way your brain works, just focus, excuse me, focus on that and look at the resources. Like we said, you're in the information age, tackle that shit and go after it. Yeah, I think it's exactly right. And, and put yourself in a position where you can actually, you can actually have the ability to, to make those decisions. You can actually have the ability to, to take those risks. If, if you feel like they're calculated risk, if you've done the analyzation, if you've, if you understand um, the consequences, if you, if you looked at the different, you know, mitigating factors, you put yourself in that position and then you never know, um, you know, you might find yourself surprised at, at, at uh, what you can learn. But um, at the end of the day, if you don't have, you know, what was the, what was the statistic that, you know, it was a very high percentage of the, of the American population um, as of, you know, a couple of years ago, couldn't cover uh, $800, dollar emergency and if you don't have the ability to to do those types of day-to-day things if you haven't put yourself in that position if you haven't established that financial um discipline then um you're going to be kind of behind the eight ball and so you know my my big thing is is put yourself in that position to to take advantage of the opportunities when they come to establish your financial independence and um to be able to do the things you want to do. I think that's, that's a, you know, the perfect, you know, spot to wrap this one up. You know, we, we've gotten down, gone, gone down some uh, rabbit holes here. We've gotten a little ranty and rambly as it gets later in the night. And, uh, but I think it's something we're all passionate about because we've learned these lessons the hard way when we're, when we're younger. And as we've gotten older, we've started to appreciate and understand the power of financial literacy. You know, for me and Perry, I know it's made our relationships with our, our wives so much easier and so much better because I don't fight with my wife about finances literally ever. I think we've had one financial fight the entire time we've been together. And most people, like the vast majority cannot say that. And I know Perry, you and Melissa are on the same pages with your finances and it's huge. And so it's something we're passionate about and we think that everybody should understand and needs to understand because it just, it helps with everything in life. It's going to help with your passions. It's going to help with your relationships. It's going to help with, you know, you'd be a better parent. You'd be a better, you know, a friend, a father, like whatever it is. And so just 
you know, hopefully you guys take some of this to heart. Hopefully you guys are already ahead of the game and you're, you, you cut this shit off already because you guys are, you know, far more advanced with investing than we are. But, but if not, if you're younger and you, you don't really understand, you haven't had a mentor in, in this role, just, you know, feel free to reach out to any one of us. Um, Pete, you know, you got any closing comments and, and throw your, uh, your Instagram handle out there. Yeah, you can find me at Instagram at pwsunderland uh, at gmail or oh, sorry, that's my email. pwsunderland is my Instagram handle. Uh, don't talk a lot about finances. Do talk a lot about uh, fitness and stuff, but would love to connect with anyone on there. And I guess my last comment would just be the reiteration of that quote: "We all get what we want, and if you don't, then you just didn't want it bad enough." Yeah, that's that's solid right there. If you guys want to reach out to me at luke.d.cox. Um, I'm not a financial advisor by any stretch of the imagination. I know a couple that are pretty solid, but uh, I, I do have a fairly general grasp of the different finance, you know, the investing options in the financial realm. So I can at least kind of point you in the right direction. And I do have a list of resources of stuff that I've utilized. So if you guys have any questions, just reach out. And, and I, I definitely uh, would love to have, have some discussions and conversations with y'all. But uh, Perry, what, what do you got? No, I think this is a, a conversation that's worth having. It's something that, you know, in the in the quote unquote hunting industry doesn't often get talked about. You know, a lot of people have are in the impression that, um, you know, everyone that, that's out there in this world is a big money poser. And, you know, that, that must be nice mentality is certainly prevalent. So I hope there's some people out there that are listening to this that take something away and maybe decide to take control of their own finances and, uh, and, and adjust that mindset. Um, that at the end of the day, I think that's, that's the big thing that, that I want people to, to, to really hear. Yeah, it's important. Y'all, uh, get your money right. And you can literally do anything you want to in this world. Um, we're not there yet, but I think the three of us are relatively on the right track and that's what we want. And it's given us a lot of flexibility by just making some small decisions that have com- compounded and led to bigger decisions, which have then built to some pretty life altering decisions that, you know, hopefully will we'll pay dividends in the future. So uh, thank you guys for putting up with us. You know, this is definitely one of our most, we, you know, we ramble and rant on most podcasts, but this was probably the most rambly and ranty of all of them. But thanks for putting up with us. We appreciate the hell out of you guys. We couldn't do it without you. Follow us on Instagram at HuntLiftEatOfficial. Check out our website, all the merchandise at huntlifty.com. And definitely, definitely, please, if you want to support this podcast, leave us a rating and review, especially if you guys are on Apple. Thank you guys so much. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks.